Pelletero Pickle, episode 152. This is a New Year's pre-ABCA episode. Very much looking forward to ABCA this week. We've got New Year's resolutions. We've got a coach clinic preview, some rants about travel ball, and a great mailbag question from Mark. Check it out. Meltero Pickle episode 152. This is going to be the uh, New Year's slash ABCA, pre-ABCA episode. So maybe if you're driving to ABCA, you can listen to this. We'll uh, talk about that a little bit. Uh, Before we get started, a reminder, send us your topics, questions, and concerns. I always say that to pickle at peltero.com. We do have a mailbag question for today. Uh, hit us up on social media. If you listen to this podcast, you probably know who we are. So at Tuxedang, at CC20Rake, at Pelotero app, at Pelotero Pickle, hit us up. Uh, happy New Year, fellas. Patrick's on the call production-wise as well. So happy New Year's to everybody involved. Uh, I'm excited for this year. And um, Chris, I didn't. I'll, I'll, I have to expand on this later, but I'm I'm big on numbers and Two, four, two times four is eight. Eight's like my number. And there's going to be something with 28. So it's a big, big year. Chris, how you doing? I'm never sure when I'm allowed to talk on this podcast. But now seems to be a good time. I'm lovely, happy, new, Kwanzaa, all that good stuff. Did you do when anything is exciting Kwanzaa? for new- is it now? Is it? Is Kwanzaa Christmas or New Year's? Or like a, obviously not Christmas, but. I don't know. I think we should just, I think everybody should say happy, happy Mary around the holidays. So it covers everything. Just happy Mary. Kwanzaa is the 26th through the 1st. 26th through the 1st for Kwanzaa. So it's a five day. It's a holiday in Italy called La Bifana where they give gifts. It's like a one day January 7th thing. It's actually more important than Christmas from a gifting standpoint for children. What's how do you say it again? La Befana. What was your best La Befana gift like, ever? Like a, I got a mount, uh, a BMX bike when I was probably eight. Huge. It was red, it was yellow, blue, yellow, blue, red, and white. It had all four colors, but it was awesome. Dude, a bike when you're yeah, eight I years was old, just sitting in the living room. Bikes when you're young are the best gifts ever. Especially, it represents freedom, and and you can get mobile, and you can get places, and hang out with your buddies, and create a little well, little crew that you terrorize the town with. Especially in Italy, in a beach town, took that thing everywhere. Took it everywhere. Just go to your buddy's house, go to the park, go to the beach. You had to lock that thing up in Italy, though. Lock it up. Lock it up. They'd steal it. I bet. I know more guys that got their bikes stolen, their scooters stolen. Yeah. Anyway, so it was good. It's good. I'm glad it's over. I don't like, I didn't like the Christmas wrapped around a holiday. 
So like the whole Sunday, Monday thing just put a real wrench in my life. Cause Saturday was like build up to it, do all the prep. Sunday is like a full day of work. Cause I go shopping with my dad and then you got to do the Christmas Eve stuff that lasted till 1am. Christmas was Monday, full day, everybody at my house. And then you're like four days of, I got to go back to like my normal life. So I never, I didn't have a weekend. And then I was Thursday afternoon. I was gone. I was out. I never checked out. I was checked out Thursday afternoon. Yeah. You were pretty quiet in group chats and everything. Uh, it, it's very str- strange week. Monday, a Monday Christmas is tough on the work week because you, you get this partial week and then there's always like tons of people traveling. So you're not sure if you should be doing business and you kind of feel like you deserve some time off, but then you're in startup mode. So you, you take some time off. Yeah. It's a little awkward. Um, did you get any cool gifts? Any, uh, anything noteworthy? Cold tub, cold tub. Really? I've done two cold tubs, two days. Did three minutes in the cold tub last night. What, what, what uh, what kind of, did it like an inflatable cold tub? It, like what, what kind of, I've looked into it a little bit cause John is all about it. John. Un- it's, uh, unknown John. <laughs> you know, John is, but yeah. nobody else does. It's like, uh, put poles in it to stand it up. The lid is actually inflatable. And then the ring around the top is inflatable to hold like the circle shape. It was cool. It's cold. Is it like a liner? I was, I've like always a, been. Wooden enclosure, yeah, metal like enclosure? No, it's like just fat, like latex. I don't know what's the fabric. Like it's like a like a pool inflatable line? ball. Yeah, sitting on my deck. One thing that sucks supposed about to be doing this in you. New England. Yeah, the, the cold tubs are fine. The way I describe it to people is when I started doing cold tubs, but I really only did contrast baths because it was an excuse to get in the hot tub. So. It went cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot three times after games. Two minutes each, then you're done after 12 minutes. Staying in a cold tub, three to five minutes is probably like the threshold. It takes you a minute to like get your breathing regulated when you get in. Two things that suck about New England. Number one is when you get in the cold tub in the winter, like you just, there's nowhere to like, you can't just like pop out of it and be like, okay, I'm, I'm good. So I was worried the first one I did on the 31st that I had to run to my shower. So we, my wife lined up towels on the way to the shower. It's a good 60 feet away. But and instead I realized straight, I, you're walking straight through the kitchen, straight through the yeah. all hardwood floor. The steps could be a problem if your feet are wet. So, yeah. Yeah. I realized <laughs> once I got inside the house that I was fine. You're actually fine when you get in the house. Um, the other thing that I learned quickly is I've always notoriously been a just only legs in guy because my legs were the only part that really were affected while I played. Uh, the benefit, your legs feel light after you do it. Like when you, when you realize that your legs felt heavy after you don't, you don't actually know that your legs are heavy, but like soreness kind of like dissipates, decimates, decim, decimates. I don't That's the wrong word. Um, dissipates dissipates and then your legs your legs feel light uh worst part about having a winter cold tub in new england last night went to take had to go put the lid back on by the time i went to do that the water on the deck had already frozen so i was slipping and sliding as i went to put the lid on so it was you got to think of like 
a, a better way. And now I definitely need to get a hot tub so I can do contrast. It's a lot of, a lot of different things. You're actually better off being outside, being fully submerged because it's warmer in the water than it is the air. So I went yeah. full submersion last night up to my well, neck. It's supposed to be, uh, I've, I've read different things about it. Um, I've seen some things where it says you only need to put your face in the water. So you can, there's a way to do it with only face because you get enough body response. Then I've read other things that you have to go at least up to your neck to get the benefits of it. Cause it's like, you want your lungs to get cold, I guess, or your, you want your chest to feel it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just know that the, uh, the Hemsworth guy on that show did it. So he looks better than I look from a body standpoint and a face standpoint, just across the board. He looks, <laughs> he looks better than pretty much everybody. You, so that's a pretty if you, if you just, if you just do, Yeah. If you just do the legs, I think there's like, a big value add. Well, if you're playing, I think my, my a big value add just legs only. The uh, independent ball wise, playing every day like that. I never, I didn't get it as bad in summer ball, like college wise. But um, I think independent ball when you're doing like the early work, you're in the cage, you're doing fungos every day. You didn't get as much of that in like any CBL. That my ankles and knees and my feet killed me playing any ball. I. I've never played 162. I've never played 140, whatever the minor league is. But man, your body gets beat up playing that that often. Just that part doing a contrast for me would have been helpful, even if just your lower body. I never had issues like my my arm would hurt always just because my arm would hurt. But lower body, feet, ankle, knees just would just ache. Getting out of bed in the morning was not fun. Just not even playing a lot. I got to the point where I just willed my way through all of it. I don't I, I don't really know what it means to be sore anymore. We used to have that conversation with Batista all the time. Try to get all right in the off season, cryo and dry needling and all this stuff. I'm like, it doesn't matter. And we too are gonna feel like shit anyway. So who cares? Just feel like shit in the off season, work out anyway, and just do it. And then eventually you get to the point where it doesn't matter. It just becomes normal. Just hurt and bait up is normal. Hey, but if your swing is perfect, you'll get hits. So you got that going for you. Despite all that. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, let's go. Let's go here. New Year's resolutions. First topic. You got anything, anything big for the new year? Got any big twi- Twitter threads planned for this coming year? Do we, uh, want to, did we talk no. about that? Did, did we talk about your Twitter oh, we thread? Do we need to talk about it? Or are you just leaving it in 2023? Whatever. I'm, if people want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. I don't care. It was just time. I, I think what you did was was appreciated by the baseball world and the softball world. The hitting community. We'll just say hitting community. That covers baseball and softball. Um, how about this? Hit us up on Twitter or send us emails if you want to talk about it. Let's get some fan engagement. Murph will text us and then we'll know. That he wants to talk about it, super fan. Look, I, I wish it was I wish just, Spotify gave us a list of the our, our number one listeners. Shout out, it was Murph, John Murphy for being our number one fan. It was, it was just time. I did it. Now it's done. People, we can talk about it for years. It was ten years. It was ten years in the making. Yeah, I never. I never really in my mind thought about what ten years of build up felt like until just happened to be 10 years so this is what well, it is I, 
I'm I'm on the record. I, I want you to do a, a this is like the Seinfeld Festivus, the airing of grievances. I think everybody on Twitter should do it. Every, pick one person, just go in on each year, or maybe the Twitter community can decide who needs to be gone in on, and then you can just deliver a knockout blow every year. That'd be awesome. I think my favorite part of the whole thing was that I called it Twitting Hitter. I didn't even notice that. That was oh, the Twitting part? Hitter twice. There were a lot of favorite parts. Yeah. I think my favorite part was that I told him exactly what he was going to do in response. I said, I can't wait to see what unoriginal stuff you come back with. Uh, and like how many side view videos and, uh, poppy cocks you drop after. And that's what I, that's what happened. So, uh, best part about it, probably untagged himself in it. Untagged himself, which, all right, whatever, man. It's amazing to me that dude doesn't follow me. And I certainly don't follow him because I don't want his stuff to pop up on my timeline. He's more acutely aware of the stuff that I tweet on a day-to-day basis than anybody could possibly be if they did follow me. So, like, he must wake up and then immediately go check me and yours feed every day. He does follow like, me. that must I, happen. Yeah, I have him muted. I have I have a decent amount of people muted that I just don't care to have pop into my life because – just it's not positive but uh yeah definitely i feel like i have a shadow sometimes tweet and then i get this muted muted response after it and i've had if you ain't got no haters you ain't popping if you ain't got no haters you ain't popping that's what i think of every time yep um so that was that was a entertaining way to start to kick off what I, so if you go back 10, 15 years, the, the holiday season is always ripe for online blowups because the old forums used to go crazy. Cause basically people are just, maybe they're traveling, maybe they're sitting around in a house with family members they don't really want to interact with. So they hop on their phone. They got a little tension built up, a little, little family animosity brewing. Maybe they got a couple of drinks in them and tweets start flying, message boards start popping and uh, I always, I always know like the holiday season. There's gonna be fireworks in the online community, so I could feel this one coming. I knew, I knew it was, <laughs> I knew it was brewing, um, just because it's the, the most wonderful time of year. That's what happens. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Um, I have a hidden course that I've put out. My I. I, I was feeling pretty reflective. Everybody went to bed early. So I was just sitting on the couch. I watched uh I watched Barbie, which I thought was pretty horrible. Um I had to somebody do that told too. me I so, somebody told me they were watching it and I was like, it can't be that bad. And they were like, No, it's pretty bad. So I watched it because that's I did it. <clears throat> I wouldn't I I said to my wife, I'm like, I don't know if like the woman population feels the the message of that meaning of that movie all this thing about the patriarchy and stuff maybe that just makes me the guy and i don't realize it i don't know i, I didn't feel any uh 
I thought Ryan Gosling was looked really strange and the whole message was weird. Like Barbie, like the fake, just fake awful. world, real world, just magically blend. Just somehow. an awful movie. Like, just, it was terrible. Atrocious. Literally, like, I. And then, and then they tried to pull it all together at the end the, with the founder. And I was like, no, this is not good. So. Uh, um, I'll tell you what my New Year's resolution is. Yeah. And you <laughs> I tell me get if, to mine, this, go ahead. if this hits a card with you. No, no, no. Wait. This is going to be funnier. In 2023, I worked a lot of hours and found a great deal of things that are revolutionary that people in my industry don't pay attention to. In 2024, I plan on working a lot of hours and finding more things that are revolution that are revolutionary that people in my industry don't pay attention to. That was thanks, Kyle. Should, is that like, is that your New, just, New Year's revolution? Revolution. You just, you just read that from a tweet. Yeah, because I I that I don't follow him either, and that popped up on my feed, and I was like, could you be? more ridiculous in the way you wrote something could you like so that that was kyle from driveline he tweeted that i if you know kyle and you know his personality and how dry he is and sarcastic you can appreciate that tweet um at face value if you don't know him i could see how that would be uh irritable cause irritation as a feeling but you just, if you know him, if you know and have, have interacted with him, and I, I appreciate who he is and what he does and how he goes about his business. Cause he's like, he's a baseball outsider and he's just like, why is everybody doing stupid stuff and not paying attention to obvious stuff? And uh, things that he thinks is obvious isn't obvious to other people um, for reasons that maybe he doesn't understand or maybe he doesn't value. Everybody has a lens. That's my, like, my biggest think, takeaway from last year. I just think Everybody's there's better ways to deliver information. There's just better ways to deliver words to people with if you're try if you're really trying to make somebody understand what you're talking about, and maybe I'm full of shit when I say this because I have my days when I think that I'm in the twilight zone. But I think that the best way to convey messages to humans is through like positivity or at least some form of compassion and empathy that somebody might not be on your level. So I always try to err on the side of too kind or too what, what, like whatever way you want to phrase it from a, again, it comes down to compassion and empathy, but I never think that the way get through to somebody is to be condescending. And maybe it is like maybe Floyd Mayweather just did a really good job and being the villain and he got people to pay attention to what he was doing. So like maybe being the villain's good. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't, it doesn't, re I don't resonate with it. So um, like, I don't need people to tell me how much better they are at life than me. Um, which I guess is why I got irritated by the other guy. So Yeah. Well, I I have more history with them, so I, I have a different perspective on it. What did you have a real resolution, or were you just reading somebody else's tweet? No, I actually I don't I don't have a resolution. I don't. I just I think more the my same. resolutions are always the same. Try to try to be a positive any, influence. Any goals on the on basketball court for this year? In the world. Trying to post like a couple double doubles or triple doubles or 
Knock it elbowed in the face. Nah, they don't really. They don't. Yeah, knock it elbowed in the face. They don't really keep the rebounds and assist stats, so that part's hard. They the 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 league that I'm in in points per game. I try, but I have too many. Is that douchey? (laughs) If that's douchey, then you're a douche because that that's your personality right there, and you're not a douche. So that's that's just a little bit of you being you right there. It's funny when I was a kid, I cared like I, I I'm much more concerned about making like a positive impact on games now, right? And I think that's this can actually be a real topic about. I think as you get older, you start to acknowledge the fact that your your job as a te- in a team sport is to make a positive impact on the result of the game for your team, right? To keep you competitive, to keep you in the game, and the things that excite me now are the things that really generally don't get attention, right? Like take a charge, big block shot, uh, you know, intercept a pass, make a good dish, whatever, uh, like start a sequence that is pass pass to a backdoor cut layup for an easy bucket, things like that. So I wish I had looked at, at sports like that with that lens. And I circle back to in my presentation that I gave, uh, to one of the schools that uh, I work with that I'm not even going to talk about. Um, I, t- I put my Mount Rushmore of athletes up there and it's Brady, Jeter and Jordan. And everybody knows that about me. And I said, and I kind of realized this as I was doing the presentation, I said that the thing that I want you to look at these three guys and go reflect on those three dudes and anything you've ever heard them say, was there ever a point in time where you heard them talk about their own personal accolades before the team? Was there ever a time? And like, I can't think of one and I've watched everything that they've ever done for the most part. Like, cause it was always a greater purpose. They, anything they did personally was for the team. So why would they ever look at themselves first? Well, and if you think about that, right, they're arguably three of the, the greatest athletes that have ever played their individual respective sports. And people can, you can argue about Jeter and Brady that they're not as talented or whatever, that as Jordan, Jordan was a super talent, right? Athletic, you know, guy that could do things that other people couldn't. But what, what it connected, what dots it connected for me was Rich always used to say, you got to play for the guy next to you, right? Like you got to play for the guy to your right, uh, to your left. Sorry. Yeah. Just to be clear, Uh, like play for the guy next to you when you're playing. And what that allows you to do, I think as a player, if you really just make it about winning the game, regardless of whether it's a minor league level, high school, college, whatever, if you make it about winning the game, it makes it significantly easier to deal with the stresses that the game causes, right? Like 0 for 4, 0 for 8, 0 for 12, all those things become much easier to tolerate if the end goal is win, right? It's easier to take the bat in the ninth inning when you're 0 for 4 with two punchies and a runner on second, nobody out. And staying free of those, like that anxiety that is, I need to get a hit because let's call a spade a spade. Every dude wants to dominate. Like I think every player that's ever played wants to be recognized as the best player on the field. The path to that is through thinking about team success, the clearest path anyway. Individuals thinking about individual success will always, there'll always be a barrier on how good you can be because you're going to get caught up in your own shit 
at some point and it's going to stress you out. It's going to piss you off and it's not going to let you operate free of anxiety. And that's why I, I revisited and I opened the book Ooh. and shout out Kenny Graham. I revisited the Tao of Jeet Kune Do the other day and I actually read a bunch of it. Guy speaks I just, text, I just awesome. texted Kenny right before we got started. Be like water. Awesome. Just to, uh, everything just to saying... read a random Bruce Lee line. Wait, I got to read one. This is awesome. This is, the man who is clear and simple does not choose. What is, is. Action based on an idea is obviously the action of choice, and such action is not liberating. On the contrary, it creates further resistance, further conflict. Assume pliable awareness. Just that was a random excerpt that I picked. I didn't have it highlighted or anything, but. Outstanding. It's a lot of that, which makes total sense to me now. So everything you were just saying about the individual athlete, thinking about individual success. Personal success is, is great and it feels good, but it, it, there's something different about doing things with other people and winning with other people and like combining with other people to do great things. That is, it just will always supersede the, the individual stuff. It's like winning as a team is so much cooler than like going four for four. Four for four is like, yeah, great. I want, I, I had a good game, but you can go four for four and lose. You can go over four and win the, there's got to be, uh, there's, as a, as a species, humans work better together. Like we, we could never do any, everything on our own. We just can't. So when you find alignment with people and it's hard, it's really hard to find alignment and find ways to work together and to do good things. And it's just, it's special when you're able to, to win and, and create with other people. It's just really cool. It's really cool. Yes. Um, it's a really good message. I'm gonna. We should just bring that book to ABCA, and just randomly do excerpts and like just read lines from it as uh, from a content. Just walk up to a booth and just read a line like that. Love it. Yeah, love it. Uh, my resolution because I didn't I didn't get to it was uh, I I put up a a, a very edited video of pools and I said in 2024 I want to help as many coaches as possible learn how to keep how to help their hitters find their best version of this. And there was emphasized because everybody's different. And it's basically Albert getting to a point where the back elbow is down, the lead arm's up, his hips are open, shoulders are started rotating. And uh, so I said, what is this exactly? Quotes, sequence, timing, quickness, adjustability, balance, depth, plane. Above all, an understanding of the bat's relationship with the body, how lag is connected, how the hands deliver energy efficiently with or without a running start. That ties into the uh, hitting course that I put out, which got, I think I might have just went past 400 people on it, which is cool, um, in like 36 hours. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I was DMing with somebody about it, and he's like, why are you doing this for free? What, what's what's your end game here? And I basically wrote, I, I said, I want to democratize information. I want the best swing information to be common knowledge so we can have the real conversations about hitting. I feel like the entire industry is distracted by swing right now and we're not able to talk about the things that matter most because everybody's so focused on 
the other thing. It's like a misdirect. We're helping the pitchers by being distracted. And I'm over it. I'm just over it. And it doesn't mean swing doesn't matter. Um, with uh, I, I want people to use Pelotero because Pelotero will automate all this stuff so we can save time. So we don't have to waste our time talking about this stuff. Let's just track it. Let's measure it. If it's right, it's right. If it's good, it's good. There's a lot of variations of it. Let's figure those out. But there's just there's too much bad information. There's too many people getting tricked by by words of feel. Um, I think a lot of people are intimidated by data and tech because they might they might get their feelings hurt by it or they might lose their audience if people understand things better. Uh, somebody told me the other day an informed customer is a good customer. I like that. So ultimately I just want people to understand and I've with Pelotero with, with the way that I'm forced to look at things and how granular I have to get to be able to deliver value. Just I've had some unlocks. I've had some really good breakthroughs with stuff and my understanding of the swing has never been more clear. There's been wording I've been dancing around for about 10 years around like orientation of bat to body and like, how it changes directions and I've never had the right way to explain it. And now I do. So somebody, somebody said, texted me yesterday and said, you say you it's so robust, but concise. And I, my response was when you know exactly what you want to say, all you have to do is say it. I don't have to like mince words. I don't have to, I don't have to like navigate around talking about a feel. I can just say it. And it's really, really fun. Just clarity, just, just immense if clarity. Want, right. If now. you want to, if you want to tie that all together, right, in a way, so part of all of this has been, I have a better understanding now than I ever did about why you, no offense, you have difficulty saying words in human um, at times because you're trying to be as defined as you possibly can be when you say words. You don't like to use words like and whatever or do you know what i mean or do you understand your your brain operates in a way that you're trying to be very very clear and specific so you don't leave room for ambiguity or human interpretation when you say things i think the problem with society in general that i've noticed over the last year probably is we all tend to interpret things the way we want to interpret them and our ability to process information is just as much on a sliding scale as our ability to understand information and all those things so when i say things in my brain they make complete sense to me but i've never really acknowledged how they're interpreted by somebody else. And I think when you're in a cage, if you look at the full paradigm of being a hitting guy or hitting instructor, you're looking at it from a lens of how do I get this hitter one-on-one -on -one relationship? How do I get this hitter to perform right now? And so taking a step back, what, what a lot of what I've absorbed, especially, and I'm, I'm just circling back to what you just said, we have to define what good is. And the reason I think everybody in the space is just really annoyed right now because it feels like we haven't made strides because the last 10 years have been this ongoing 
who's more right about what things to think and what's the, the bat doing and how's this happening and what style, like everybody's having style arguments, right? They're having style arguments instead of true, like root cause. Here's how the bat needs to move in space. These are the fundamental truths of the swing. So when I go through Instagram or Twitter and I just see these constant posts of a, a video of a drill and this and that, it's when you said democratize swing information, dude, the infos, it's, it's really out there. Like what I think you're trying to do is bring it all to one place and say, here it is, right? Here's, here's what you need to know about the swing. Yeah. That's not the real problem. The real problem is not the swing information. It's how do you deliver it to the most hitters in a concise way, the best way possible. And really, ultimately, how do you track performance and success beyond that? Because right now, if I went to all the best hitting instructors in the world, even to a guy like Casey Smith, who we're close with, you have to rip your hair out of your head to have the discussions with the guys that are willing to have them throughout the course of their seasons to really be able to identify whether or not they're, they're staying the course or if they're getting better or if they have the ability to perform on the field. And I hope all of that made sense. It did in my brain. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll make the argument that I don't think all the information's out there. I think the stuff that I'm talking about right now, I've never seen anybody else talk about it in this way. And I think it's there's a couple missing pieces that I'm jokingly calling it the missing link because the the way the bat connects with the lead arm is a big deal, and the way it's linked, get it? It's a missing link because it's linked. Um, it's way too catchphrasy, and I hate it, but it's it's true. And uh, so I probably said it wrong. I probably said what I said wrong, but I need to interrupt you because. I need to be clear about the fact that regard like, so what, what, what you're trying to do is be very defined when you do it in my lifetime. I never thought being defined was as important as the hitter having something that they could rely on. Right. And the only way you can do that is in a, in a, like in today's world is in a one-on-one -on -one setting, right. Delivering swing information, delivering conversation. That's what all hitting instructors do and why they, they fear tech, the good ones, why they fear anything that goes beyond the conversation. But the problem is, and, and this is what I've learned is that without ways to like track and really, again, define the things that we're trying to define through Pelotero, we're all just guessing. Everybody's just guessing. And I'll say that to everybody and their mother, like you're just guessing. And that's why I've had to take a step back and be like, am I even helping a hitter right now? Or yes or no. The only thing I'm, I'm, I'm good at is being the net to catch them when they're falling. Right. And yeah. then pump them up, right. Pump up their. Yeah. Their, no, that's good. And in a lot of, a lot of what I'm trying to do right now is, is make things very objective and just to find things like what is, why does the lead arm get up? Why does the back arm get down? What is happening with the movements? Why is it efficient? What characteristics are being created? So when you when you have the history of the game to lean on, because 
I've been accused in the past of inventing stuff. And I always laugh at that because I'm never, all I'm trying to do is study the best hitters of all time and understand what they're doing from a physical standpoint. There's 1000% value in, in like all of the stuff with hand eye, all of the stuff with approach, the mental game, the, the work ethic, like all of that stuff is also required. But if you have all that stuff and you have a horrible swing, it doesn't matter. You're still going to stink. You're not going to be able to do what you're really capable of or what you have gaps. You're just going to have gaps in your game. There's going to be, there's going to be reasons that people can get you out. So you look at it through the lens of timing. You look at it through the lens of adjustability. You look at it through the lens of margin of error. And we do have this backstop in that the best hitters ever have similarities. Fact. Like there's similarities between the best hitters of all time. So if you achieve what they achieve from a physical standpoint, it doesn't mean you're going to be good. It just means you're removing reasons and you're removing holes in your swing. You're removing timing considerations. Your margin of error should get higher or greater. So it's, it doesn't guarantee anything. But if you have the choice of having a good swing and a bad swing, I would imagine most people are going to pick a good swing. And you can, al- so you can always I- go down the you can always go down the road of like, well, you can't make a guarantee, and they could get worse. I'm like, yeah, you could. Everything's a choice. But I want I want people to have that. But choice what I think- when if you don't have the right information, you can't make that choice. Good. What I think most hitting guys are going to say to you in that instance, or most guys that spend their time in the cage, right? They're going to say, okay, well, how do I cue every individual hitter specifically? to create those competitive advantages. And that's why for like when 10 years ago or nine years ago, when I looked up at those screens, when I had hit tracks, DK, a K vest, body track under my feet, video on, that was like the, really the first time you'd art, you'd strap me into a bunch of crap. The, the thing that I wanted was what cue are you going to give me to be able to create what you want me to create? I didn't care about any of that stuff. If you told me it was good, then I would have been like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I just want to know how to do it. I don't, I, I need, I need somebody to tell me if I'm the hitter, I need somebody to say to me, okay, do this. Try this, see how this works, see how this goes. And then that's the exploration of, of that's the, that's the piece that I think is coaching. Right. I think what we're trying to do is is give the assist to the coach to be able to say, okay, like this is how it needs to look or how it needs to feel based on democratized information. To your point of like there are things that make the swing good and things that make the swing bad, right? That exist in all swings. Or some a, a less version a lesser version of good or a a, a better version of bad. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So most, most people that are used to being in the cage until they get run down by the cage, don't understand that the words that you're using for people are going to, they're just going to hit at some, at the right time when the athlete's ready for them. I think the things that you're talking about are the things that are always true. 
right? They're always there. Well, if the 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 biggest connection to all this is like when you understand the efficiency of it and you understand some of the angles involved, it becomes very easy to diagnose why those don't exist and what that will cause. So, you know, if your swing is really steep, we can talk about that. If your swing is straight uphill, like steep down, straight uphill, if it's pulling across, um, there's just, it, it makes it very easy to talk about the different variations when you have a baseline level of, of information to, to bank on, to rely on. It's like having a language. It's like trying to, trying to have a conversation. You don't have all the words. It's really hard, or you don't have all the letters, I should say. Once you have the letters, you can build all the words and you can have the conversation. I feel like there were some missing letters. So I'm excited about that. And just to keep the topic list going, that that's what I'm going to be talking about when I've got time. At the, the So we're doing a free coaches event at ABCA. It's Thursday at Cover All Bases. Shout out Cam Monger for uh, sharing your space. Myself, you, Jason Ferber, Casey Smith. We got a... Uh, Corey Mascara from Mascara from Wake Forest, New Hampshire guy. Pumped to see him. He's going to be talking about scouting reports. But as much as anything, like when we go to ABCA, there's a lot of good, a lot of good coaching stuff happening there. A lot of good information being shared. Um, I think we tend to like these events because we want the interaction, we want the relationships, we want to get to know people, and we want to be accessible. So. A lot of one-on-one conversations take a lot of time. And when you get in a room with 100 plus people and you can just say it once, um, it's not as easy to drill down, but it's a good way to get information shared. And I'm excited about it. I'm excited. I like who we have involved and looking forward to it. You have any thoughts on that? Go team. What are you going to talk about? That's my thought. I don't know. I have no idea. Somebody asked me if I, if I if my presentation was prepared. I'm like, it's coming off the top. I'm I got like 15 minutes. It's it's all gonna just flow. I might have a couple things prepared. I, I might have some clips ready, but it's uh, it's it's just stuff that I think about all the time. So I'll just talk about that. Doesn't really require a formal presentation. Uh, let's move on. Um, Todd Leathers friend of the program, he called me the other day and he was talking and we were talking about travel ball and we were talking about should should we call pitches for kids and just this whole like dynamic of travel baseball and, and not letting kids learn and when should you let kids learn because there's, there's definitely a time and place where you want to call pitches because the catcher's not good at it. And maybe it leads to the conversation. It should never be, in my opinion, I don't think you should just let a kid out there and do ridiculous stuff. But um, it's all like teachable moments. And I told him a story about, there's one coach in particular, and Patrick, you might laugh at this because you might know who it is, coaching travel ball like, I don't know, eight years ago, 10 years ago. And there's one coach that before every single pitch, he would tell every player on the field what to do. Hey, third base, ball hits you, throw to second. Uh, middle infielders, ball hit to right. You're a relay to third, double play up the middle. Uh, like every, he would go through every single person on the field before every single pitch. And I was like, dude, you're not playing chess. You're not playing checkers. You're not like, teach them how to play. 
let them play, and then talk about it after. Like you got to let people think. You have to. As a coach, I tried to help kids learn how to think and how to prepare. I didn't try to tell them what to do. I think there's a huge difference between those two things. Um, but it always just, I don't know, when you're trying to win baseball games when you're 13 and you're telling kids what to do to, to win, I don't know if that's development. Are the, At what point do those kids stop thinking for themselves? So circling back to what I said before about the three greatest, my Mount Rushmore, missing one guy. I only have a Mount Rushmore of three. I don't want the coach to be thinking about winning. I want the players to be thinking about winning because if they're thinking about winning, they become critical thinkers. They become problem solvers. I want the coach to be thinking about developing. The coach's job is not to think about winning because guess what? The only, the only thing you can do from the dugout is lose the game. You can't win it. You can't go hit a double, right? You can give your guy an assist, right? You can tell him, hey, I would look in this spot. And this is what I would do. But the more robotic that you make them, the less you're going to make them equipped to play a year from then or two years from then or five years from then. And that's, I think that's the part that irritates any of us that have, have been around the game for a long time, right? Because we have, this, we have this notion in our mind when we're dealing with our, our own kin or our own people that we're close with that giving them the answers to the test will help them in that moment and it'll help them look better, be perceived better. And frankly, it's just not, it's not, it's not real. And if you're doing that, ultimately you're trying to fulfill your own ego. You're not trying to help somebody else because you, you, you look at what's happening on the field as a reflection of what's happening to you, like what, who you are. And that's not what the great coaches do. It's just not. Kids should be focused on winning. And if they're focused on winning, they're going to then identify all the things that they need to do to be able to score more points than the other team. Coaches should be focused on developing. There's a very clear line there. So it goes hand in hand with what you just said about when should you call pitches, when should you not. You call pitches to help them learn, right? And then you have the conversation with them. Why'd you call this then? And then just give them the range, you know? We used to do a game called Best Game Ever. And the game was very simple. No infielders, four outfielders. The whole point of the game was you got every time you hit, you get three pit, three outs. An out would be a ball that's caught or a, a, any ball that didn't hit the outfield grass in the air on the fly was an out. And at home runs counted as five. But basically any ground ball is an out. Any ball that's caught is an out. Swing and miss is an out. Foul ball is an out. Got to hit a line drive. Got to hit a ball in the air to the outfield grass. And we would just tell kids, four kids in the outfield, we don't tell you where to play. We don't give you any guidelines. You can play wherever you want. So every time a new hitter came up, they would shift to whatever positioning they thought was going to optimize their ability to get outs. And it was awesome because, you know, certain kids, they'd, they'd back up and left and slide in and right, or they'd, they'd position in a way where they tried to bait them into doing something to get them to like get in their own head. And it was just a fun way to, to get kids to think like more than anything, it was just getting kids to think. And there's, there's an element of execution involved where the kid has to make plays out in the field or the kid has to get hits in the, in the batter's box. Um, there's a little pressure element cause it's a team game. So yeah, it's four on four. Um, 
but it was all about thinking. It's all about just paying attention and understanding the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent. To your point, how do I win? How, like, what do I need to do? And what different games can I play within the game to help my team win? Because it's never like the game itself is not the game. That's, and that's going back to why I want to democratize the hitting info because swing mechanics is not the game. They're a part of the game. We need to get it right. We need to, we need to be in a good position with that. We don't want to have horrible swings, but we're not even talking about the game. We're distracted. We're distracted by uh, a lack of information or a lack of information allows distraction and I'm over it. So yeah, just try to win. If we're trying to win, we're going to do cool stuff. What, what, yeah. uh, game within the game. What was your favorite as a, you played first. So what was your favorite game within the game? Like as a first baseman, do you ever do stuff at first, like holding runners or like talking to them in a way to make them distract? Like what, what did you, what types of All things? All the time. I know like the, the pitch clock stuff bothers both of us. Cause that was a big game within the game for both of us. Like trying to manipulate tempo and flow of the pitcher that's gone. Um, what'd you do at first? Give me, give me a good game within the game at first. So with lefties on the mound, and I learned this from, uh, I saw Todd Zeal doing it when I was a kid, whenever like Mike Hampton was pitching for the Mets. And I've probably only watched Todd Zeal play first base three times or twice in my life. When Mike Hampton or Johan Santana was on the mound, he would like get in front of the runner and then like just jockey back and forth between the base and like out. So he would, he would like make it look like he was getting off and then the pickoff throw would come and he would shuffle back as the leg went up. So you, you do just, that as a, you set it as up. a righty thrower. Yeah, as a righty thrower, you could step off and go back shoulder with the tag to deep yeah. the guy. And then there was another one that was actually one of my teammates. Um, and I, it's funny that this came up because I was reading, uh, I was reading a thing. Um, that, that I'll give you two other ones that were examples. Uh, one was a right-handed pitcher. Every time he'd come in relief with a runner on first, on the first pitch, he would come set, and he would do this really pronounced head, like chin lift, head lift, and throw the pitch. And he would throw a ball on purpose so that the guy wouldn't swing. And so the guy on first would go, okay, so when his head goes, like, because even if you're trying to look at his legs, you're you're naturally going to see yeah. this big head jerk. <laughs> we must have picked off. 16 runners and 18 tries because like if they didn't know that he did that it like that on the next one then he would go big head movement and then do front knee breakdown like the block move and then he would throw over and we'd get him i'm telling you it was like 16 out of 18 of when he came in the game and did that uh as a first baseman you have like limitations right but my favorite one was run on second nobody out with a lefty up at bat especially if it wasn't like a guy that was going to hit one down my throat um, I would always start way back and I would make sure I would get the shortstop's attention so that, so that the, the runner on second would look at me, basically see how far back I was. And I would just say something stupid to the shortstop. I would be like, you know, do one of those. And just so he would see that I was back. And then as the pitch was getting delivered, I would creep in. So in the hopes that he had a top spin ground ball to me and I, I would just throw it to third. And in one year, we got three guys at third base with the runner on second, nobody out because they just kind of lollygag over to third base and I would just catch it and go. Um, so yeah, those were, those were like my go-tos. Those are my favorites. 
So just a lot of. Can you stuff. imagine rally killer runner on second, nobody out. Rally killer guy, guy does his job, and then here comes the first baseman firing. Todd Leathers had a great one on butts. He taught me that one. Todd Leathers had the one on butts. He would just catch the throw first and automatically throw it behind second base. So I always respect Todd Leathers. He was thinking step ahead. The yeah. auto throw works so well because the runner. Um, Sliding into second base on a sack bunt is a really good move because then you don't you avoid the whole like tap the bag, turn around and look. That can get kind of casual. And if the guy makes a throw, it, it's easy to make it out there. I like I like a slide in a second on a sack bunt for that reason. Todd Leathers effect. Yeah. Way to go, Todd. Making people slide. Way to go. Uh I I there's a, there's so many of them at shortstop. Just, just ways of working the runner and just deking guys. I used to love like all the, the subtle pick plays you can put on. Just all nonverbal stuff. I like all that stuff. Um, good. We got a mailbag question. This is from Mark. <clears throat> I'm going to start with the last sentence because I love it. He goes, thanks for your time and excellent podcast. It's a bit like watching Jeopardy. I often don't know what's going on, but I'm always learning something. I like that. I thought that was funny. Uh, he's got a couple questions. Does it matter how hitters decelerate? Some finish with a bat somewhat high, like Mike Trout. There's a one-hand finish. There are those guys who wrap it all the way around their body so the bat will smack their backs. Quick answer, motor preferences. See motor preferences for more information. Yeah. So That's why I don't feel like I can help anybody anymore. Well, so I've, I've had some deeper conversations recently with uh, – Coach Swope at Maryland and the Witch, and uh, motor, just follow motor preferences. Motor preference experts, follow them on Twitter. Follow them. Pay attention. Um, it's real. It's coming. It's it's it will be mainstream ish. Mainstream enough. It's just it it answers too many questions and it provides context where context is desperately needed. So specific to the, the finish, motor shoulder is essentially the, the shoulder that creates acceleration. So if it's your back shoulder, that essentially you kind of like create an anchor with the lead shoulder and the front, the back shoulder drives. If it's your lead motor shoulder, you're kind of like the anchor is the right, the backside. So I'm a righty. So if it's my left motor shoulder, my right shoulder will kind of anchor and then I'll, the, the left shoulder would create more acceleration and speed. That's my understanding. That's not perfect, but that's my understanding. So in that context, a rear motor shoulder, an athlete with a rear motor shoulder will most often finish with two hands on the bat, whereas if a hitter with a lead motor shoulder will finish with one hand. The question around getting it so wrapped around their body, that's more of a mobility thing. Uh, some hitters are more associated, some are dissociated. So hip shoulder separation is a preference. It's just the way they move a hitter that's more yeah. dissociated would more, be more likely to have a dramatic twisting follow through because their body's allowing it to happen where trout with, will have a super tight finish, but he's very associated. And I think high and low are probably going to be related to pronate and supinate. Pronate supinate also like horizontal vertical, um, pronate supinate very much though. So the supinators will finish lower because that's, that's bottom hand supinate not top hand. So guys that will roll their wrist will be, have a tendency to finish lower. 
guys at pronate will probably finish higher. Um, I see all these finishes. You used to do like that, that no rollover finish, such a prominent thing right now in instruction and just guys just forcing stuff. Just not, it's not right for them. It bothers me. Um, but yeah, check out motor preferences. They're real. They're exciting. Um, they're valuable. Best way that I can sum up motor preferences is that as coaches, we should be doing things that have higher likelihood of helping and higher chances of success. And motor preferences checks both those boxes. We should be being, we should be getting smarter and more successful with what we're doing. And we should be quicker to find better solutions. It's good. It's powerful. Um, anything you want to add to, add to that? No, I like the next one better. All right. Second, I was thinking about your discussion on episode 151 about athleticism and hitting. Could the decline in hitting partially be due, due to teams prioritizing athleticism, i.e. power output, over hitting ability in the players they are drafting and developing? Take the lead. It's both. It's yes, but they've always been trying to draft the athletic guy. So you're, you've shortened the draft, right, which now you're putting an even a more of a premium to get the five-tool guy, the guy that you think can project out to be an all-star versus or at least a high-level minor leaguer that's tradable, whatever, right, with 15 rounds, then potentially 10 in the draft moving forward. That's going to be even more at a premium, right? So you, you go get the guy that's tangible because you can defend your position when he messes up. I think it's happened much more at the youth levels, right? I, like, And the example I'll use there is I never – I didn't start lifting weights really until college. Like I didn't have a lifting coach. I didn't have a strength guy. I just didn't have any of those things. Um, the amateur game, there are so many more kids training. So many more kids training. Like the funny part is we talk, we talk about this from our kids playing too many games. And the answer is still yes, right? They're playing too many games at the amateur level, right? They're playing 70, 80 games a year. But at the same time, they're not playing enough games. And what I mean by that is they're not playing enough variation of games that are focused on winning, right? Like focus on, and that's a weird thing to say because you go to tournaments and you try to pluck all the best players and you try to win the tournament with by out thoroughbreding somebody. So the, my, my, my full circle back and revert to is youth players are so focused on the training aspect of it from an individual level, right? From the individual side, everybody goes to a Cressy or an exceed or a true grind systems. If you're serious about playing baseball, you bet your ass you're lifting at one of those places, right? Is that fair? So now all these guys are developing all these athletic traits younger, but whatever, whatever amount of time you spend doing that, you're sacrificing amount of time you can spend doing other things. And even if that other thing, and this is going to sound weird, is playing MLB the show and thinking about the sequence that a pitcher is going to throw you on MLB the show or, um, you know, the amount of games you play in the front yard where you're trying to win against your buddy where he's trying to wiffle ball you and manipulate pitches and things like that. So we, we've we've redirected how young players can be while they when they train. 30 years ago, there was still fear that if you trained a guy when he was 14, that you were going to stunt his growth and all this stuff. And now it's like, you know, it's, it's market forces. It's a little bit of strength coaches getting smarter. It's a little bit of 
commercialism and greed, right? Like of, of grabbing at kids who were saying, who were saying, Oh, well you need to train more. And well, when the 14 year old kid that's built like a toothpick looks like, looks at the guy next to him, that's six, three, two twenty when he's 15 years old, he's going, well, I need to get on his level. So it's a little bit of both, I think, but yeah, the answer is the short answer is yes. The longer answer is it's happening on two fronts. Yep. I don't think it's a simple, simple answer, but if you don't start focusing on things at a younger age, if if your primary goal is to increase your exit velocity because you know that that's going to make you get the opportunity, you're just you're not developing the other stuff as much. It's it's a training economy issue. You're you're focusing on different things at different times. Uh, I think you can never discount the fact that pitching is what it is now. It's, it's everything's faster. And when there's more speed and more velocity, that's less time for the hitter to think and make decisions. That's real. It doesn't change the fact that, uh, the best hitters are still hitting three thirty, three forty. So, um, there's just less of them hitting over three. Oh. Yeah. That that's the funnier part is like it, when I get with guys nowadays, it's amazing how unwilling a 16 to 19 year old hitter will be in the cage to do anything. That's not like what he thinks he's supposed to be doing to just compete in that moment, right. To understand how to survive that moment. Cause really hitting ultimately comes to survival. So even conversations as simple as like do you know what it means to be on time what is true timing what is understanding timing see how early you can get ready and you know swing later see how early you can get see how early you can get ready and swing when you want to so again you always say so like those concepts those principles especially in you know mass team environments like the travel ball environment like the, the hitting clinics hitting hitting clinics are probably like not as big. There's more swing clinics, right? There's more move this way clinics. So I don't know. Just my opinions. I had a tweet over the weekend. What day is today? Tuesday? Maybe it was yesterday. Uh, I said, hitting red flag. If you can't take a swing with low intent, it, it proves that you don't have good understanding of your swing. You see kids that, oh, I can't hit off a tee. Oh, I can't hit flips. It's like, well, why not? What's, what does that mean? I can't hit off the machine. Well, figure it out. What does that mean? You're trying to hit a ball in space. You're trying to hit a ball at a location in space. That's that's why I can't stand the T-work stuff because hitting a ball off a T and hitting a ball moving, at some point that ball is going to be in that spot in space. So I just, I don't know. There's, I definitely understand the concept of of vision and the brain processing and all that. But if you can't hit a ball off a tee, then I don't, I, I don't get that. I just don't understand. I, I, I don't understand how that happens, but it does. So that's my it. sign you know, off I think today. you've got a, yeah, you got a new, you got a, a Leeism. No, here? My, 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 yeah, I'm going to come with a couple of them. So in, in describing Jeet Kune Do and what it is for security, the unlimited living is turned into something dead. A chosen pattern that limits. To understand Jeet Kune Do, one ought to throw away all ideals, patterns, styles. 
In fact, he should throw away even the concepts of what is or isn't ideal in Jeet Kune Do. Can you look at a situation without naming it? Naming it, making it a word, causes fear. It is indeed difficult to see the situation simply. Our minds are very complex, and it is easy to teach one to be skillful, but it is difficult to teach him his own attitude. Like, these are fire to me. Jeet Kune Do favors formlessness so that it can assume all forms, and since Jeet Kune Do has no style, it can fit with all styles. As a result, Jeet Kune Do utilizes all ways and is bound by none, and likewise uses any techniques or means which serve its end. This guy was, this guy's, this guy's it. He's it, man. It's really good. What do you want your On technique that. to be remembered as? That I had no technique at all. On that note. Thank you.